It's great to see you all this morning, and um, looking forward to getting to talk some more about forgiveness. Um, we are we are on week three of a ten week series on uh, embracing well on making sense of forgiveness. Today we'll be talking about embracing God's forgiveness. Hopefully you had a chance to pick up a handout. Um, now, that has a place for you to take notes and to see when I'm almost done, which is why handouts are helpful too, right? So <laughs> we, we can all be honest here. That's, that's what we're all looking at. No. Um, a watch can also do that as well. So anyhow, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about these things today. Just um, uh, to me, forgiveness is just this um, diamond of God's grace that we get to look at from a bunch of angles. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, why don't I pray and ask the Lord's help, and then we will dive in. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to spend some time thinking about you, your forgiveness, and what that means for us. We ask for help. Um, our minds are weak, our bodies are weary, and life is complicated. And so we ask that you'd be with us by your Spirit as we think about these things, um, make us more like Jesus, help us better to understand the love we have through him, and um, most of all, we pray that you would make us people who are able to forgive as we've been forgiven, and all that that means. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, so um, just by way of kind of introduction, so that's the, the front of your handout will be some introductory comments. I'll let you know when we um, move inside on that, but uh, this is week three of ten, as I mentioned, and I don't know what you think as you hear a ten-week series on forgiveness. Um, for me, initially, I could think forgiveness should be a one-and-done Sunday school class, right? God forgives us. We should forgive other people. That's one Sunday. Um, are we kind of lazy just dragging it out or something like that? Uh, I think the ten-week nature of it's very helpful because it helps us realize, whoa, there might be a lot to this idea that we might not always think there's a lot to. And the, the goal as we continue through it is just to grow in our ability to think carefully and to think wisely about this topic. Um, and it's, it's a complicated topic for a few reasons. Uh, we could spend all day talking about the complexities, but I just want to bring a few things to mind as we shift gears, right? We're coming to church, all kinds of things going on, and now it's like, whew, weighty concept, and let's parse through it in 10 weeks. So this might help orient us a little bit, but the complexities with forgiveness, one complexity is regarding what occurred. For some of us, maybe as we sit here and we hear forgiveness, we think of the most minor infraction that has taken place in our life, and we think of how easy it was to forgive that situation, right? Um, so forgiveness can encompass relatively minor uh, infractions, a, a hurtful thing that's said, although I'd like to pause even on that. We might think of a hurtful thing that's said, and it can alter the trajectory of your life. One comment can do that. Um, talking with people and, um, you know, one hurtful thing said in an occasion at school, and it alters the way the person copes with life from then forward. I am going to not put myself in this type of situation by doing this type of thing. One word. Um, so even the things that we may think are insignificant can be very significant. It's also complicated, though, because forgiveness also entails 
very significant acts of harm that can be done against us, right? And these can be ongoing things, extensive abuse, whether that's physically, verbally, sexually. I'm not going to go into all the things that this could encompass, but I just want us, as we start, to realize our concept of forgiveness and how we think about it has to be able to handle the most insignificant, which is still significant, all the way to extremely um, detrimental things that have happened to us. So it's complicated regarding what has occurred. It's also complicated regarding how do we move forward. Because <laughs> forgiveness has um, a lot to it, right? There's the act of granting it, but then there's often what happens after the granting of it. And there can be all kinds of complexities with that. Is is the person repentant? Does the person continue to be repentant? How do we know? How does that shape our interactions with this person and the potential harm that they could do to me or to others um, based on whether they're changing or not changing? What would reconciliation with a person who's committed this type of offense against me look like? You see the complexities of this? And yet that's captured primarily in one word, although there's other words I think tied into it, and that's part of what we'll see. But you know, there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation, there's trust, all these things, but we put this big handle of forgiveness on it. And some of the reason we're spending 10 weeks on it is realizing there are multiple threads bound up in that, that if we don't kind of disentangle them or see what part they play in the process, the oversimplification becomes problematic. Um, and so, so those are some of the things that make forgiveness a bit complicated. And then the, the last thing I'd like to say, just kind of by way of introduction, of just orienting our minds as we think about this, is I think the most helpful way to approach this topic then, in light of those complexities, is not to think first and foremost of the most minor offenses in the clearest situation, right? Person totally repentant, it was one harmful word, we're able to forgive, and we never think about it again. And we think, well, that's what happened to me, why are we still talking about all this? Um, I think what's helpful with something this robust is probably to think of some of the greatest, most difficult acts of forgiveness, to move from the greater to the lesser, right? If we're able to wrestle with forgiveness to the point that we can understand what it would look like in some of the most deeply hurtful, complicated situations, then we will be able to also see how it applies in much simpler situations. But much harm is done in the church when we approach it the opposite way. When we take that easy thing about forgiveness and then someone comes to us with a story of hurt and we take that easy, simplistic answer and throw it on it, that's a recipe for disaster. And, and much harm has happened that way. But if we work the other way, it slows us down and it helps us. Um, and I, I think it helps us better understand the forgiveness that God has toward us and what he calls us to grant toward others. So, does that make sense? Um, so that's our goal as we walk through it these 10 weeks and just to reorient our minds each week. Um, so today, we're going to continue looking at some aspects of forgiveness. We've, we've talked about some misconceptions about forgiveness, things that it's not. Um, today, we're going to look at a few questions about God's forgiveness, and we'll be ending with how we think about appropriating, appropriating that to ourselves So we'll, in our three points. So uh, you can now open the handout to this uh, 
the, to the first thing we'll be looking at, which is this concept of unconditional forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness. Um, a key verse when we think about forgiving is Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So forgiving one another horizontally as God in Christ has forgiven you vertically. There's a correlation there. Um, but So what that demands of us is to spend some time thinking about what does it mean that God in Christ has forgiven us. Um, some of that we already know, but there, there are a few things that I want to really highlight here. And the first is regarding this idea of unconditional forgiveness. How many of you, when you think of forgiveness, think you don't have to raise your hands because maybe that's embarrassing. Um, when you think of forgiveness and God's forgiveness, you think God's forgiveness is unconditional. I've been to me that sounds right, doesn't it? There's something in me that says, yeah, I think I was taught that somewhere. Somebody told me that, right? So I started asking myself uh, after going through this book and, and wrestling with it. Wait a minute, where where have I heard that? And I'm not sure where I've heard it. I, I think one of the things that comes to my mind is, uh, especially as Reformed uh, Christians, when we hear the word unconditional, we think of unconditional election, right? God choosing us before the foundation of the world unconditionally, not based on anything that we've done. But somehow in my mind, unconditional has been bouncing around with this word forgiveness. And that's not an accurate thing as far as how scripture speaks. Is God's forgiveness unconditional? I think we would say no. It's actually not a good way to describe it. I think when we think about God's forgiveness as unconditional, we're trying to um, give words to a few things that we do see in scripture. One is this, no sin is beyond God's ability to forgive, right? God is able to forgive any sin. Um, But that is not the same as unconditional. That's limitless, limitless forgiveness, right? That no sin is too big for God to be able to forgive. And so it's helpful to realize, okay, that's one of the things we see in Scripture and we're grappling with, the, the, the limitless nature of God's forgiveness. Another aspect of this that that we might be thinking about is God delights to forgive, right? We see this in Scripture. It brings him great joy. In the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 7, um, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heaven delights, God himself delights when forgiveness to sinners is granted. Nehemiah 9.17 says, but you are a God ready to forgive. Um, Another way that can be translated, you are a God of pardons. You are a God of forgiveness. Oh, it's amazing, right? So he, he delights to forgive, but this doesn't mean his forgiveness is unconditional. This speaks of God's willingness to forgive. He's ready and willing to offer limitless forgiveness uh, to people. But there are terms to God's forgiveness, aren't there? And that's where unconditional becomes problematic. There is a condition for God's forgiveness. And what is that condition? Repentance, right? Repentance and faith 
in the work of Christ, theologically is, is what we would say. Um, and we see this all throughout Scripture. Um, a, a key Old Testament text that reminds us of God's forgiving nature, Exodus 34, 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let's pile on all three terms to show how forgiving God is. But who will by no means clear the guilty. This isn't just a wiping over of guilt in some unconditional way. There's actually a condition for it. Forgiveness is rooted in the nature of God as gracious. Anytime God forgives us, it's surely by his grace. We do not deserve it, right? But his forgiveness is not indiscriminate. Um, He will by no means clear the guilty. On man's side of the equation, on the person's side of the equation, there's the need for penitence or repentance if he is to be forgiven. So forgiveness rests on the atoning work of Christ. It's an act of sheer grace, but repentance is insisted upon again and again throughout Scripture as how we receive God's forgiveness. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Mark 1.4. Peter talks about this with reference to Christian baptism in Acts 2.38. Jesus himself directed that repentance and forgiveness of sins, notice how they're tied together, would be preached in his name in Luke 24, 47. Um, Now, is that sending off alarm bells for any of you? Uh, Yeah, I'm getting some head nodding. Why? I would imagine because it makes repentance sound like a work, right? It makes our salvation sound like it's based on some work that we do. Um, theologically, faith and repentance are not to be thought of as merits whereby we deserve forgiveness, right? So it's not that somehow being repentant means that God is bound to forgive us because somehow we have merited it. It's still sheerly by his grace. But instead, they are the means whereby we appropriate the grace of God. That's how we'd say that theologically, right? So if alarm bells are going off in your head thinking that we have just turned into a workspace church, I want to rest assured, we are not saying that in any way your faith somehow merits God's forgiveness or that your repentance is somehow meriting it or somehow binding God to do that in a way that's based on something we have done. Instead, God is the one who is graciously forgiving us and able to do that as both just and the justifier through the work of Christ. He set up the conditions of forgiveness offered in the new covenant, right? It's a covenantal arrangement. And the conditions in it are here, here is the way you receive the grace of forgiveness. You repent, which means turning from your sin. And we'll, we'll explore what repentance means in the course of 10 weeks, because that's not simple, right? It, we can say it simply, oh, turn from your sin, and then Talk to me in 10 minutes. Did I really turn from that sin? If I'm still thinking about it, am I repentant? Oh no, now what do I do with another person who doesn't even know what they're doing? Uh, This is messy, right? Anyhow, faith and repentance are the means by which we lay hold of this gracious thing God gives us, full and limitless forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's different than unconditional, right? Right? 
And do you see how that's going to cause problems if when we're thinking about horizontal forgiveness, we're thinking forgive as God in Christ forgave you, God in Christ forgave me unconditionally, and so therefore someone's just like, hey, sorry, or doesn't even say that, and you're like, oh, I need to forgive them. What does this look like? And nothing's changed. And is that what God's calling us to? Um, so it's, it's good to think clearly about that. Um, God's forgiveness, so we're still thinking about God's forgiveness, is this unconditional? But think of how God's forgiveness works. It's an invitation to a new way of life, isn't it? Um, we're using one of the primary metaphors for forgiveness. If you put together all the Old Testament and New Testament language on forgiveness, one of the primary metaphors that you'll come up with as Scripture helps us understand this concept is that of a debt being canceled. We have a debt, and God cancels that debt. We see that in the unmerciful servant, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so this is a good biblical metaphor to um, wrap our minds around. But God is not a banker who says... Keep running your business in the way that led to bankruptcy. Better luck next time you're forgiven. That's not what's happening in God's salvific plan for us in the Christian life, is it? Um, We are coming as those who have horribly messed up our finances and have actually like sinned in doing that. And we come and we receive forgiveness, a cancellation of that debt, but also with it is the grace to change from being that kind of a spender, saver, banker, right? Uh, And so those things are tied together. God calls you to renounce the way you did things before in both your heart and in your actions. Now, this doesn't mean that you'll never again make an unwise financial decision or um, be indebted to God again. Perfection is not the condition. Repentance is the condition. This heart attitude, this turning away, this turning toward open-handedly receiving grace. Okay? Um, Yeah. So with that, yeah, I have a little bit more to say about unconditional forgiveness. Uh, Is... Is this sinking in okay? Is everyone doing all right? Um, Along with that, we have to understand that Scripture not only holds up God's limitless and delightful forgiveness that he extends, but along with that is also God is not mocked. (laughs) That's an amazing thing to think about. God is not mocked. Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Part of what that means is this. We can't fake God out with our repentance. God isn't ever confused. Is this person really repentant or not? Um, Is this a situation where I am extending forgiveness or where I am not extending forgiveness and holding forth the opportunity for change? Or extending forgiveness and also turning the person toward change. These are things that God is doing. We can't fake him out. And Jesus talks, you know, as he um, speaks to the Pharisees in Matthew 3, verse 8, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Um, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus himself says that the terms that he sets for the forgiveness and salvation of God are narrow. Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
And those who will not accept God's terms for forgiveness, even if they on the outside are playing nice with God, they will eventually run out of chances to accept this offer of free and full forgiveness. Um, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Um, Even though on the outside they're playing God's game, there can be a lack of repentance that leads to a lack of life. So I'm going to summarize everything that I've said theologically just with this. God is infinitely generous in his forgiveness, but that is not unconditional. Okay? And that's helpful for us to remember. Um, Why does this matter? Two implications. Again, this is all under this unconditional. Why does this matter? One, we have no reason to fear God withholding forgiveness. I'm not sure how you feel as I'm reading all these passages about repentance. I think part of what it naturally stirs up in a lot of us is a, uh oh. <laughs> Am I forgiven? Am I repentant? Am I? And so the answer with that is not dig inward and look at your belly button. Keep those things under your shirts for now. Um, don't do that. Do what we have come here to do today, which is look at the work of Christ. <laughs> look at the full and free forgiveness that's there with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus um, that ushered in the surety of the new covenant. And the question for you today is, am I looking to his work and his work alone for forgiveness and grace to forgive me of my sin. That is where we need to look. And what scripture tells us over and over again is, if you are looking to the work of Christ, you are forgiven by God. He delights to do it. He's not withholding it. There is no condemnation. You are not under the law anymore, but under his grace. Um, If he gave us Christ, he'll give us every good thing. All of that is true, and the question is, are we looking to Christ in faith? Um, And so God does not withhold his forgiveness in any way from us. But secondly, we don't have to be forced into foolish forgiveness based on a theological technicality. I think what has happened in churches sometimes and in Christian talking (laughs) as we seek to give counsel and help people who are hurting, we have um, forced people into foolish forgiveness that, to be honest, God would not be a part of. He looks at what we're doing and says, that's not what I mean by forgiveness. But because we haven't stopped and considered the nature of his forgiveness, um, we get ourselves into some interesting situations. And then what that does, you may say, well, what's the big deal? At least you're forcing someone into something good, right? You're not forcing them into something bad. Uh, So good things done in the wrong way are bad things. Like it brings about harm. It's not honoring to God. And then what it can do, it can not only lead to all kind of harm for the person and the person they're seeking to forgive, shortcutting the work God is actually trying to do, but what it can also do is lead to places of the soul where it's like, if this is what God is like, if God is really this foolish about this, then what is going on? Is this the kind of God I want to worship and serve? And it can lead to all kinds of distortions of how we even view the gospel. So God who forgives is not a fool, and he's not calling us to be biblically foolish in our forgiveness. 
And what's important about that is this. The pattern that we're called to follow, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. See how that's the pattern? The pattern that we follow is a good one, and it's not a flawed one, as God in Christ has forgiven us. So we have to make sure we look at it in a not flawed way before then we say, how can I apply it? So the pattern um, is to forgive as God in Christ has done this. Now, the last thing I want to say on page two is this. It's as God in Christ has forgiven us, right? And we learned back in the doctrine of God that God is on one side of a giant chasm of what we call the creator-creature distinction, right? And so anything that we do and that we're supposed to do as God does it will by nature be analogical. It will not be exactly how God does it. If we could do something exactly how God does it, we'd be on the other side of that chasm, (laughs) right? It would create a problem. So what the Bible is calling us to is forgive as God forgives, but also as creatures and not as God. So there will be dissimilarities, discontinuities in how we seek to forgive as God forgives. What are some of those differences? Um, One, two, three, four. I have four. We don't know the heart of the person like God knows the heart of the other person, right? As soon as we come to forgiveness, we are in very humble territory because I can hear words and I can see actions and I don't know hearts. And words can say, please forgive me, I'm sorry, and actions can say something else, and it can be a process over time. God, when we come to him, already knows. Um, And the simplicity of God, anyhow, the knowledge of God, it's just a mind-boggling thing far beyond us. We don't have that. And much of what we will come to know in the process of forgiveness takes time by nature for creatures to understand it. So we don't know the heart of the other person. Second, our ability to move the remove the hurt from our minds is not perfect like God's. The complexity of how our minds and our bodies and our emotions work together over events that have been hurtful to us as creatures and as part of how we're designed for our own self-protection means that we can't just say, I saw into their heart and it was genuine repentance and they have sought my forgiveness and now, bam, I can, with perfect control of all of my faculties, view them how God would view them. Um, It's going to be a creaturely process. And we'll talk more about that as we go, but it's important to realize that up front. Third, our desire to forgive is not as constant and benevolent as God's. Ever feel that? (laughs) You wake up and you're like, ah, I'm so glad I forgave that person. Like, this is the best thing ever. And then you see something on social media or whatever happens, um, whatever happens. And you're like, ah, I don't know. (laughs) This doesn't feel as good anymore. (laughs) Um, And so the desire in our hearts, even the best intention that we would have toward forgiving another person is going to be like this, this side of glory. Whereas for God, it's just perfect benevolence, justice and grace all the time. It's amazing. Fourth, our ability to be hurt again may make the process harder for us than it is for God. 
God is all-powerful. Um, as Paul talked about last week, the nations conspire against him, and he's like, <laughs> bring it on, <laughs> right? Um, one little thing we could do to him, I'm going to hurt you relationally, God. He's like, I think I can handle it. I'm all-powerful. Um, also, the impassable God, and impassibility is this huge thing, right? But I mean, part of what it's saying is um, that he doesn't have relational needs from us, <laughs> uh, that, he, that he fills from us. It's not saying that God is not relational, perfect, beautiful relationship within the Trinity and then spills over and brings us into that relation. So it's not saying God is cold, but it's also saying that we often come to one another very susceptible to being hurt because we're creatures. And also we often come to others, whether we know it or not, wanting and needing something from them um, that then sets us up in a very precarious situation. And so God is not affected in the same way by all of those things when he sees the situation perfectly and grants perfect forgiveness. You see how big of a deal it is? <laughs> see why it's not one week? Um, anyhow. Okay, so one part of me is saying, keep going, you have more to cover. Uh, this is the end of page two. The other part of me is saying, open it up for questions because that was a lot. Which side should win? Let's pause and open it up for questions about that. You can see I have more to cover, but is there anything that's just leaving you in angst that you're like, I I don't know. I don't know if I can keep tracking with you without this resolved. Yeah, Beth. Um, Can we get her the mic? Jared has it. Thanks, Beth. Beth Owen. Thanks. Of um, bringing us back to uh, our forgiveness in Christ. But when you say that forgiveness requires repentance, it really bothers me because I have, I have a, a secure welcome to my Father, and yet I know that I'm sinful. And I also know that I'm not aware of the amazing sinfulness that I am. Yeah. So I am, I'm not going to be able to repent mm-hmm. of everything. Yeah. So that makes me, if I, if I grabbed onto that as truth, then I would lose my sweet welcome to my father. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, that's a great way of articulating it. Uh, and yet scripture calls us to grab onto that truth of repent and believe as the way we receive salvation. So it, like those things are, are bound up there. And yet this inner experience of, well, wait a minute, I have all kinds of sins that I, I'm not even aware of yet, so I'm not even repentant of those things yet. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, right. And so I... Um, Some of that will be helped as we go on to point two. Um, but I think something that can be helpful for us to think about just categorically in the um, experience of salvation that the scripture is t- talking about, right? So let's take it from the categorical 
truths of like repentance and faith are the means by which we receive the saving grace of God. So that's the systematic way of saying it, right? Now we're slamming it into the ground of, okay, but how does this work out experientially in the order of salvation uh, as the believer experiences it? And I think that's what's helpful to realize is the repentance that we're speaking of in terms of receiving God's forgiveness is the repentance and faith that happens upon justification. So it is the initial awareness that we have at some point in our lives, I am a sinner and desperately in the need in the grace of, for the grace of God. I turn from my sin and I turn toward Christ. As imperfectly as that is, and as much as that's going to entail a lifetime of continued repentance and faith, it is that repentance and faith of turning to Christ that obtains for us that eternal welcome of God because it justifies us, it changes our position, and it brings us from one who was under the category of condemnation under the law to one who is now under this standing of the new covenant that says, you turned in faith to Christ, you are forgiven. And so when we hear repentance and faith and are thinking about it, we have to understand that's the experience we're talking about to receive God's forgiveness And it is past, present, future forgiveness of all of our sins in justifying faith. Um, And then there is the ongoing experience of the believer of continuing to appropriate that grace as we continue to see sin and continue to repent. But there isn't for the believer, oh wait, you haven't quite repented enough of that. Now I'm taking justification back away, taking the welcome back away, taking any of that. All of that is yours in Christ received by faith. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. The one-time thing. So let's keep that in mind when we think of that, of how God grants us forgiveness. Um, now, when we are forgiving other people, it's not that we're doing somehow God's justification thing for them. <laughs> it's, it's a different type of thing that, that looks that way. So... Uh, I'm seeing all kinds of hands, so either I'm making it worse or <laughs> um, I'm not sure who was next. I think Paul will go there, and then maybe, and then Kevin, and then I'll just give up on my outline. Uh, also, regarding the conditionality or unconditionality of redemption and forgiveness on behalf of God, I'm curious what you think. Do you think it may be more helpful to? Or it may be helpful to think that, okay, yes, God's forgiveness and redemption are conditional, and they are conditioned upon Christ and his work, which is why we can be freely forgiven, because our faith is a work of God, the repentance we have been given our work of God. Mm-hmm. Ergo, the work of Christ has met the condition, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, a fruit of that in our lives, we repent both initially and continually throughout our Christian lives. So it is conditional, God's forgiveness. The condition has been met in Christ. Yeah. And we partake in that unconditionally because he has given that to us in Christ. Therefore, the grounds of everything we experience in the Christian life 
have already been grounded in Christ and his meeting the condition of God? That was a really long question slash not question. It was a question? Sorry. No. Uh, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I think as best as I can on a Sunday morning um, standing up here, the, I think I agree with everything you're saying. I, I think it might get a little confusing to slip unconditional back in there. I like unconditional in the election to receive the benefits of Christ, which are both faith and repentance. Um, but I think that's mostly semantics that we could just parse out. And everything else you said is right. I just, as soon as we start, I'm just hesitant to slip unconditional back into that a little bit. Um, when it, is next to forgiveness. Um, that's all. But yes, I think the way you're speaking of that's totally right. Are you okay with that or no? We can talk after. It's awesome. Um, I think Kevin and then John and then I got to figure out my life. <laughs> I I think it helps to uh, to think about. Um, that uh, and I like what Paul said that repentance is not just my work that I bring to the table. Sure. It's it's the work that God is doing in my heart. So we need to embrace the process of repentance and know that this is the actual change that's coming on me. Otherwise, the forgiveness feels a little bit fake, a little bit glib on God's part. Hmm. He's actually doing something in me. I like um, I think of Psalm 51. You know, as a journey of repentance and seeking forgiveness. But he says, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God. Show me my secret faults so that I may know these and repent of them. Yeah. And it's a journey that he, God is taking me on in repentance in order that I may know the free and full graciousness of his forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So, so it's actually... Um, it's actually a beautiful part of the journey to see that God is making a change in my heart. Yeah. So just to recap a little while, we're t- John, did you still have something? Okay, great. Just to recap for a second, um, it's important to keep in mind, like this is, this is a good way to keep framing it up, the justifying repentance and faith, which is a gift of God's grace, and repentance and faith being two sides of a, a similar coin. Um, the justifying nature of that, of turning to Christ in faith and thereby coming over all, coming under all the benefits of the new covenant and positionally everything changes. And then there's the ongoing sanctifying process of continued repentance and faith that doesn't somehow pop us out, of, out from under the new covenant or the saving benefits of Christ, but is part of the Christian life of continuing to see our sin, to turn from that, and to, by faith, say, I trust that Christ's work has forgiven me of this sin and that his spirit is now at work in me, helping me turn from and battle this sin. And that's a continual process uh, throughout the Christian life until we die. Um, so so keeping uh, that's a helpful distinction, the, the justifying repentance and also sanctifying repentance as our experience in the Christian life. Yeah, John? What I'm getting out of what you're saying, I look at my own life too, and I think all of us could look at our lives and see this. You look at King David, he was forgiven. He was a man after God's own heart. Yet the consequences of that sin 
he paid for for the rest of his life with the loss of his daughter or son. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're saying, and I think what, what, what you're meaning by all this, is God forgives us completely. He's going to bring us home. We're going to be perfected someday. But some of the consequences of our sins can last the rest of our life. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point, and we'll talk some of how consequences work as we continue to go over these these weeks as well. Okay, um, and so point one, um, we should be really careful if we say God's forgiveness is unconditional. Depending what you mean by that, like if you talk to Paul, he can be right about it. Um, most of us would be wrong about it, but he's being super careful with uh, with the nature of how he's saying that. I, I think on the ground, if we just slap that on as a phrase for ourselves, what it can lead to for us is just is forgetting that repentance is a part of this whole forgiveness equation. And it's really important for us to think about as Christians as we seek to engage in that horizontally. Does that make sense? And I'm just joking, Paul. Like, I think you're right with that. I'm just... <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> okay. Um, let's cover point two. And... If any of you get stressed about outlines like I do, you can just put out of your mind that we're going to cover point three, and we'll do that next week. So <laughs> next time. Next week we don't have Discipleship Hour because it's uh, Resurrection Sunday. All right, let's talk about forgiving and forgetting. So again, forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. How does this affect God's memory of the sin that we do. This is an interesting thing to think about, right? In what way does God remember our sins? Um, I'll throw out some verses and, and, and mention what they're saying, and you can jot those down if that's helpful. You can also just listen. But hear, about, hear how God speaks about how he doesn't remember our sins. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 38, 17 speaks of God as casting all the prophet's sins behind his back. God casts them behind his back. He's not looking at them anymore. Isaiah 43, 25, and also Psalm 51, speaks of blotting out people's transgressions. Um, you know, the redacted document, and you actually can't see what's under the black. Like, it's blotted out. It's gone. Um, Micah seven nineteen speaks of God as casting sins into the depths of the sea, um, deeper than we can ever go or find again. And then Hebrews 8.12 quotes Jeremiah 31, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, I will remember their sins no more. And so this could be summarized. Um, one theologian says, Such vivid language emphasizes the completeness of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. When he forgives, people's sins are dealt with thoroughly. God sees them no more. That's what he's telling us in Scripture, right? But let's stop for a minute and say, okay, these verses say that, but they also have to be taken in accord with all of Scripture and with what we know about God as well. How does God forget? Does he really not remember what happened um, I was in an elder meeting, not at this church, but at a previous church. Somehow this came up, and one of the elders said, um, yep, God doesn't remember that at all. And another elder said, but, but wait a minute, like God knows everything? Nope, Bible says he doesn't remember it. He forgets it. And <laughs> I just remember, 
uh, okay. And then we just moved on. It's like awkward. <laughs> uh, so hopefully for you, if we say God zaps something out of his mind and no longer knows it, as we think of doctrine of God, it'd be like, that gets a little bit tricky, right? <laughs> the God who's all-knowing somehow doesn't know. Um, and it doesn't fit with what the rest of Scripture says. Like 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be, receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, somehow, those things are remembered in some way. They don't just mysteriously disappear. I would like to stand before God based on things that actually did happen and not things that were just forgotten and made up. Now, what I really want to do is stand before God for things that actually happened that have been forgiven by the work of Christ. And that's the, the wonderful thing about justifying saving grace. So what is God promising? What he's saying in this language of not remembering is putting it within, again, this whole covenantal context of what he's promising in the new covenant, but it's to view us not through the lens of sinner any longer, but now through the lens of forgiven, adopted child who ever has his welcome forever. Um, that's how he's choosing to view us. And it's not just an arbitrary choice. It's one that's been satisfied by the complete work of Christ. And so Brad Hamburg says this, the promise of forgiveness means that a Christian never has to worry about what is on God's mind when he looks at us. You let that sink in for a moment. Talk about forgiving, forgetting, like how does God forget? What it means is this, we never for a moment as a believer have to worry about what's on God's mind when he looks at us. Our eyes can gaze into God's eyes by faith when we pray without any sense of shame or condemnation. We, we need not have any sense of shame or condemnation because of how God views us, because he has forgotten, he has thrown behind his back, he has chosen no longer to at all relate to us as those who have done those sins, which is an amazing thing. Um, a, a dynamic with this, with forgive and forget, so again, I, I didn't start this the way I thought of, um, which is just often we can hear forgiveness, God's forgiveness is unconditional. Often, for some reason in our minds, we hear forgiveness and we think forget. And again, it's just helping us pause and think, well, wait a minute, what what's going on here? So we're looking at what does that mean that God is not thinking about these things? Um, a, a dynamic that we may feel in the Christian life is that God changes teams when it comes to this whole forgiveness thing. And part of the way we can feel like that is we can feel like God is on our team when we're hurt, right? So someone sins against us, boy, you can go to the Psalms and God is on your team. He is near you when you've been hurt by others. He will bring justice to those who have hurt us and we can find so much comfort and consolation um, people who have had evil done to them, the Bible tells us God sees them. God knows this. He loves. He cares. Scripture says that over and over again. But what can happen is, when we think about this wrongly, once we've been asked to forgive, we can now feel like God switches teams. 
Now he's on the offender's side, and now he's looking at you saying, didn't you hear them ask for forgiveness? Like, when are you going to get this together? Oop, is that an unforgiving impulse I see? Come on. It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) What happened here? I did something good, and now God's against me? (laughs) Like, we can feel that way. And that comes from a misunderstanding that forgiveness isn't just zapping something out of our minds. That's not what God does, and that's not what we're even able to do. What is the goal then of forgiveness as we think about forgive and forget? The goal is not necessarily forgetting completely. God himself doesn't forget completely, right? He can't, is is the thing we could say. Um, We are seeking to do our best as creatures to rightly relate to the person and put that offense behind us in the most proper way. But that's a complicated thing. So it's not necessarily forgiving completely. The first step of it really is to resist defining the offender by what they did when we see them or think about them. Isn't that so much of what God is saying about how he forgives us? Is he's no longer viewing us through the lens of the one who has done these things but instead he's viewing us through this lens of one who has been forgiven and loved. And so um, Brad Hambrick says, so your first concern is not how to forget, but rather to recognize the person who, to recognize who the person is and what role they play in your life. And I, I know we talked some about this before with the misconceptions, but it's coming to the point where someone who has sinned against you you now see as, okay, but that person isn't just that sin. They are my neighbor. They are my brother or sister in the Lord. They are my parent, my spouse, my sibling, my child. And I see them through this relational lens that's not solely defined by the offense. Um, This is what we're seeing in God's forgiveness. But this is a process. And again, We have many weeks on this, so we'll talk about the process. But I want you to think for a moment just about the the pace of forgiveness, and then we'll talk about the, the process at the bottom. But how do we interact with someone that we are in the process of seeking to forgive? Um, we learn to interact with a first step. And that first step, like one of the downsides is we could get so intimidated by the later steps of restored trust and reconciliation that we might miss the early step that we can all work at doing, which is um, greeting the person cordially. (laughs) When Jesus talks about loving our enemies, he begins with just greeting them. And these are our enemies. These aren't even people who have sought forgiveness. But he says in Matthew 5.47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Being cordial in the context of the relationship that you have with the person is a start in this process um, toward enacting forgiveness. And Brad Hambrick describes it as this. I think this is a helpful metaphor of thinking about it. This process is a choreographed dance of forgiveness and repentance. We have this heart of forgiveness. As as those who have been sinned against, we have this heart of forgiveness. And our role in the dance is to try and see them as more than their sin against us. That's where we begin, right? 
But then also there will be progressive restoration that happens that mirrors this progressive forgiveness as time goes by that we start to see what's really going on with the other person and where is this relationship going to go. And so we can see now at the bottom of page three this forgetting process that Brad Hambrick talks about. How do we forgive as God forgives and what does the forgetting look like on a creaturely level? First, see the person as a person and not their offense. We've talked about that. Second, in mercy, so again, we're extending grace and mercy because we've been wronged, right? Relate to them cordially based on their role in your life. Now, they may have their own definition of what that cordiality looks like, and that might not be the right definition of that. That's something that we have to figure out in the context of the relationship. But understanding that that is still a step towards seeing them as more than their offense is a great way to start trusting the Lord in this process. Number three, allow their response of appreciation for how you're treating them and seeking to forgive them, right? To develop warmth in your heart towards them. Do you see what's happening there, though? If the person is repentant and you are seeking to view them as more than just their sin and be cordial to them, then what is a repentant response toward that going to be? Hey, wait a minute. We're not where we were before. I can't believe you're withholding affection from me. Does that sound repentant? That's not repentant. That's a problem. Ding, ding, ding. That's a problem. But if that person is, wow, it's amazing that you are showing the grace to me of you know, seeking to do this dance as you're seeking to view me as more than just the hurt that you've done to me. Thank you. I see God at work in you. And what does that do? Well, then it warms my heart and helps me then move forward in that process of the putting behind and moving toward. Um, so you see how that's, those things are, have to be working together. Number four, let this process facilitate healthy restoration over time as trust is built and then relational intimacy can be restored. Um, So, um, when we think about forgetting, how close can we as creatures get to forgetting the sins that have been done against us? That's an interesting question, right? The answer should be not, um, anyhow, it's not one size fits all. (laughs) It varies from person to person, okay? Each of us are different in our ability to forget these things. So it varies on a creature level. It also varies from offense to offense, right? This goes back to the beginning of, oh, I forgot that thing that person did. Well, you just remembered it. Um, get that. Um, But yeah, that was this thing. I'm talking about this thing. What does forgiveness look like of this thing Um, that's actually bound up with all kinds of embodied experience that's much more complicated to parse out um, than just saying some words. And so um, how close can we get? That's going to vary. A second question though is, is this process safe? Um, this is the process I think the scriptures are calling us toward, that, that 
Brad gives in summary. We're going to unpack it more. But notice again how significant number three is. Because if the other person is not repentant, it's going to start showing up there at point three. You see how there's stuff that we can do? We can be taking that thing, those things to the Lord. We can be seeking to see them as more than their offense. We can be seeking to extend cordiality, treating them um, as uh, um, um, politely. And then there's going to be indications of how that's received that are going to dictate our next steps. Okay? So we'll talk more about those next steps as we go. I'll close with, with this. Um, you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, this sounds like we're just getting uh, practical or like at worst we're just getting kind of worldly about how we're thinking this and we're just basing it too much on our humanity and not basing it enough on God or something like that, right? Um, when we're tempted to think that, I think we can stop and say, wait a minute, is there ever a human who has shown us what this looks like? <laughs> the answer is Jesus. Um, Jesus invited people into relationship in this amazingly generous and warm way, didn't he? But he didn't accept disingenuous or manipulative engagement, did he? See, sometimes I think we think of Jesus as a fool, and that's a problem. I I have thought of Jesus as a fool, and some of the Jesus movies I've seen didn't help, where he's just kind of this robot who walks around and then dictates pages of the Bible. And, And I didn't, in my head, fill out enough relationally what's going on with the wisdom that's happening there. But if we think about these relationships, um, Jesus is saying things like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? He, he's engaging the where are we in this process with people uh, consistently. So he invited people into relationship. He was willing and eager to forgive, but um, he knew what was in people's hearts and he didn't entrust himself to certain people. And entrust language there is language of intimacy of relationship, isn't it? There were boundaries, which we'll talk about in the future, of where Jesus would go in a relationship with a person depending on where they were with uh, what he was laying out. Jesus even did that. He didn't do this as a jerk, though. He did this with people he was even fond of. Remember the rich young ruler? It says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved this person, and yet this rich young ruler wasn't ready to receive the forgiveness of Jesus, was he? He was unrepentant. And so it by nature kept a particular distance, not a mean or sinful distance, um, but it did that. So I think all that has to be brought to bear as we hear forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Okay, I have uh, used my time. Thanks for wrestling through this with me. Um, I think this is a slow soak topic um, because we're untangling things and letting it sink in. And hopefully what it's doing is helping us greater appreciate the amazing forgiveness we have and the gift of faith and repentance that we look at and we're like, that was a gift. I would have never done this on my own. God gave me that and that's why I can come here today and think that Jesus' work is amazing because God opened my eyes based in unconditional election to say, I'm going to help this person see and savor 
my grace. That's amazing, right? And then we have implications for how we continue on in that. So let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and the way it just robustly captures not only the human experience, but the wonder of being in relationship with the living God. We're amazed at who you are, your eagerness to forgive, the limitless nature of your forgiveness, the fact that we can sit here this morning knowing that nothing we have done in the past, nothing we did this morning or will do today, and nothing that we will do in the future could ever undo your saving grace and love toward us, the forgiveness that we have, the welcome that is ours in Christ Jesus that bids us even today to come and to worship in gratitude for all these things. Will you shape our hearts so that we better understand your forgiveness? Will you make us more like Jesus as we wisely seek to extend it to others? We ask this all in his name. Amen.